So what do you think? When does a boy become a man? What does it take to be a man? A lot of people have discussed this question from days on end. Some think it's age-specific. Become a boy when he's 13. He's reached a teenager. You know, the term teenager wasn't used until 1941. We knew they were in those teen years, but the term teenager wasn't used until, of all places, Popular Mechanics came out with an article that talked about those teenage years and used that term for the very first time. So is it age-specific? Is it 16 when he gets to drive a car? Is it 18 when he can become a soldier? Or 21 when he can vote? Is it experience-specific <clears throat> that a boy becomes a man? Whether he can drive a car or the first time in many contexts in Western PA, the first time you shoot your own deer or clean your own deer, then you're a man. Is it culturally specific? If you know anything about the Jewish culture, for them, at 13, they go through that bar mitzvah from 12 to 13. They prepare for a, a long period of time to prepare this journey into manhood. And then there's this incredible celebration of becoming a man and moving from that journey or into that new journey or that new chapter of that journey from being a boy to a man. American Indians have the same uh, process that they take them through and take them out into the wilderness, and when they were able to return, they become a man. A lot of other cultures around the globe have many different environments. Sadly enough, most of us in our Western society not even sure when that takes place. But so many other cultures around the world find it very culturally specific when a boy becomes a man. Some see it as maturity-specific, where some mature so much faster than others. As the one fellow responded this morning, doesn't really matter whether you're 14 or 40, depends on how you act as to whether or not you're really a man. What does it take that makes you feel like a man? I mean, what is it that makes you feel like a man? Your first deer? Your first car? Your first girl? Your first child? Or is it just simply a matter of being so comfortable with your manhood that it really doesn't matter what others think? You just know who you are and what you do, and you're okay to do things like this even as a man. Then you get a pedicure and be okay with that. You'll never guess who that is. <laughs> I'm Bill Opperman, our youth pastor. And what I love about Bill is he's very comfortable in his manliness and very comfortable in his manhood. I promised him that I wouldn't throw him under the bus totally. So let me show you the other side of Bill just to show you how comfortable he really is in his manhood. When does a boy become a man? Or what does it take to be a man are hard questions to answer. Some boys have grown into manhood faster than others because their dads have left home. In a book called Fatherless America, 35% of Americans went to bed last night without a dad in a home. Probably not the case, though, with many of us in the room. Today's Father's Day, and today and most likely next Sunday, I want to talk about the subjects of manhood and fatherhood. Many have said 
that mom gets elevated to such a high status on Mother's Day and dads get beat up on both, Mother's Day and Father's Day. I texted a guy last night who just became a dad again this weekend, and I said, congratulations on your pre-Father's Day gift. He actually texted me back and said, I'm so sorry I'm going to miss church tomorrow morning and get beat up again. I mean, I couldn't believe that that was his perception of what I do every year on Father's Day. That's never my intention to beat us up. What I'm always reminded is, is I'm one of you. And no matter what I say about what I'm going to share this morning or any time I gather together on Father's Day, I'm speaking as much to me as any man in the room. My intention is certainly not to beat any of us up, but Scripture, if you know it very clearly, does place a very high value on our role and responsibilities as dads. And, and sometimes when I'm reminded of that and then look at what I'm doing or what I have done, it does have a tendency to hurt a little. Even statistics place a high value on our role. Article in Touchstone Magazine in the survey, the question was asked to determine whether a person's religion carried through the next generation and why or why not. The results of that they found were amazing. One critical factor it is overwhelming that it's the religious practice of the father of the family that above all things determine the future attendance or absence of the children from church. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful the wife's devotions is, only one child in 50 will become regular attenders. That's huge. If a father goes regularly, regardless of the practice of the mom, between 65 and 75 percent of their children will become regular churchgoers. Even if he's not regular, 50 to 60 percent of them will continue to go to church regularly. No matter how many times we try to slice that or say anything about it, it does show that there is significant and amazing amount of influence that we dads have on the next generation. Scripture is replaced with that. All over Scripture, from beginning to end, is those constant reminders of how influential our role is as dads. We all know that most men, many men, can father a child, but it takes more than that to be a father. It even takes more than that to be a dad. You can tell a lot of things about a relationship you have with your father by what you call him or how you refer to him. Father is more a term of relationship, well, Dad is a term of endearment, not always in every situation, but in so many cases, depending on what you call your dad or what you call your father, or how you relate to them or how you connect to them, has a lot to do with that connection. Father is usually a term of relationship, while in many cases, dad is a term of endearment. When you refer to him as dad, it usually speaks of closeness. I find it fascinating that when Jesus was giving us that model of prayer, he referred to his father as Abba, which is our term, Papa, or Daddy. You want to be called Dad? Then be a dad. Act like one. It's the same as I said a couple of weeks ago about that whole subject of honor your parents. You, you want your kids to honor you? Then live a life worthy of honor. It's that simple. You see, you can't demand it or even just expect it. It comes with love and relationship. Fathers have an incredible impact on the next generation. Phrases like, he's just like his dad, can be an amazing compliment. Or he's just like his father, can be a source of discouragement. It's the same phrase. 
But the intention behind it is, is vastly different depending on whether he's emulating the positive or the negative traits. There are a lot of kids, when they hear that phrase, he's just like his dad, man, they well up with pride. I, I love that. He's got a work ethic like his dad. He, he's hard worker like whatever that may be, or he looks like his dad. For a lot of kids, that's a source of pride. And for others, when they say, man, just like his father, it's a source of discouragement. And what that constantly reminds me of is that enormous amount of responsibility that I have in that process of being a dad. Fatherhood carries with it an enormous amount of excitement, but also an amazing amount of responsibility. Whether you're raising little boys or little girls, or some of each, both can present significant challenges. They can make you smile, they can break your heart, right? Some little boys are wild and crazy and always getting into trouble. How many of you are raising little boys? How many of them are absolutely out of, out of control? I mean, they're just, just wild, aren't they? I remember when we were getting ready to have children, <coughs> Con got pregnant. That was the days before he had any tests to determine what it was going to be. And, and every little boy in our very first church was, was just insane. I mean, they were crazy. They were into everything, mud constantly. The list was endless. I remember what my brother was like. I wasn't like that, but I remember what he was like. And so I kept praying for little girls. And we got to the hospital, and we went through Lamaze and the whole deal so that I could be there only to find out she had, a, had to have a C-section. I had to do the whole waiters in the father's room deal. And, and the lady came up, wheeling down the aisle, and I said, okay, what is it? And she actually, when Connie left, she said, I'm going to send you up a little boy. And I got on my knees saying, I don't want one. <laughs> I know what they're like. I want a little girl. And so this nurse is wheeling it up, and and I said, what is it? She said, it's got a pink blanket on it, stupid. What do you think it is? I said, I don't know. I don't know, pink or blue. Just tell me, boy or girl. She said, little girl. I went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> then I found out that little girls can wrap you around your fingers so tight, they can almost break it. I mean, look at this one. <laughs> you ever wonder? I mean, you see me doing that all the time. You wonder why that would hang down so far and is. It's like this, all I know, groceries, yeah, right? But I'm telling you, it's because they wrap you around their fingers so tight you feel like it's going to break. And then you walk down that aisle. Where's Tim? Tim and I both walked two girls. We only had two girls, and we've referred to each other so many times. But when you walk those two girls, whether it's the first one down the aisle or the last one down the aisle, your heart feels like it's going to explode because they're your little girls. And I'm telling you, you got little boys, you've got a gift from God. You know how many times I wanted to take a little boy out, okay, not golfing, but camping. <laughs> that would make a great gun bag. <laughs> Being a dad can be an incredible gift. It, to me, to be honest with you, is one of the most amazing parts of being a man. I'm not everyone in the room relates to that, and I, I get that. And I, it's never my intention to make you feel bad if you're not there yet or you've never been able to be there. And, but I know most of us in the room are probably at one stage or the other, and you know as well as I do, being a dad is an amazing part of your journey as a man. That journey into manhood and fatherhood has changed pretty dramatically through the years. And many of us in the room, especially as we've watched society change when we look at the age dynamics of 
those of us in the room, there have been some significant changes in how fathers are viewed, how man has changed, how the role of father has changed. And, and what I want to do this morning is just show you a, a video clip that I found riveting over a, a couple of weeks ago when someone sent it to me about the changes our society has gone through and the impact that's had on fatherhood. And where we are today uh, is a lot based on the changes that have taken place. So watch this and begin to walk through your mind, especially for those of you who are older. Go back a little bit. See, so often we look at where we're at, what our environment is, and where things are right now where we're at. But every once in a while, it's really important to back up a little bit and look at the broader spectrum. And that's what I want to do this morning in this clip as you watch it together. Another dynamic that contributed arose when we shifted from an agrarian culture to an industrial culture. For many families up until that point, a young son would live the majority of his life next to dad. There was a great chance that dad worked in the fields behind the house. His son would see and be around his dad in the best hours of his day throughout all four seasons of the year. He would observe firsthand dad's work ethic, his creativity, his problem solving, and his leadership. In the wake of the Industrial Revolution, the norm for dad changed. Instead of working out of his home with his son tagging along, he would get up early, commute to work, work an eight to 10 hour day, then come home later that evening. All he had left for his wife and kids were a few meager tidbits of himself, the leftovers. The Industrial Revolution helped set in motion the idea that raising kids was woman's work. A man's job was only to go to work and put a roof over his family's head and food on the table. Somehow, men are supposed to be okay with this minimal, non-connected existence. As a result, mom was forced to fill in for dad. And many boys grew up without dad being around, and therefore, no male role model. He was taught almost everything by mom or other women in his life. These women were courageous and vital. However, it takes a man to call a boy to manhood. Then there was the negative impact of the war years on a generation of men. Many of our grandfathers and great-grandfathers were part of the greatest generation. They exchanged their youth for war and the virtues they valued were sacrifice and duty. But many of those men who engaged in battle had trouble engaging emotionally with their families after those wars. Because of this lack of emotional engagement, many sons of war veterans felt their dads took their fathering lightly and were disconnected from them relationally. Unfortunately, it was true. The war had not only taken them away from their families, it had changed many of them. Upon their return, Far too many knew only to focus on hard work or other escapes from their trauma. Many of them didn't connect emotionally with their families, and that lack of engagement impacted their children and grandchildren. Feminism came to life in the second half of the 20th century. It originally sought equality. That's a great thing because men and women are equal. But the feminist quest later turned to sameness. Some segments of the feminist movement basically said that there are no differences between men and women. That left many men unsure how to act with a lack of clarity about their role as men. Some even raised the question of whether men have a role or uniqueness at all. Anyone brave enough to ask that question is often criticized. 
In a world of sameness, no one seems to know for sure what a man is, or if he is even necessary. Now we have a more recent phenomenon called extended adolescence. Too many of our young men are choosing not to grow up. Instead of transitioning to adulthood in their early 20s, many young men are delaying adulthood until their late 20s or even their early 30s. Instead of transitioning boys to men, our culture has created a third place between boy and man. Several books have even been written describing this phenomenon. One author calls these guys boys who shave, and another labels it guyland. This phenomenon has a number of our young men stuck in an extended adolescence. Guys who choose just to drift along in life and take no responsibility for themselves, much less anybody else. They are only focused on their own comfort and the next big thrill. They are flatlined on things that really do matter, like getting out of debt, seeking meaningful relationships, pursuing a job, providing for a family, and living with a mission, a cause that is bigger than themselves. These are boys who go to college or go into life and create their own guyland. They are no more socially mature or responsible at age 30 than they were in their teens. Somehow our culture gives them a free pass for an entire decade or more. These are the historical events and movements that have impacted manhood today. This is our history. This is our story. And all have helped contribute to a crisis in masculinity. Where will we go from here? How can we deal with and overcome these realities? What will your story be? If you've lived long enough, you've seen those changes take place. I've often wondered as I watched that last piece of that segment if that's why the average age of those getting married today have moved all the way up to 27 as opposed to what it was earlier years before as we're not sure how to get out of one stage and into the next. But if you watch that very carefully, you probably, if you live long enough, recognize some of those changes that have taken place and have watched that distance that many feel in being able to not connect or not being able to connect with their kids or connect with the next generation. The impact of these changes can be significant for some men. Many men, especially dads, have become disappointed with life as they have discovered that responsibility has begun to outweigh relationships. Now it's more about duty and obligation than fun and adventure. My son-in-law, <coughs> my son-in-law Eric, who is significantly younger than I am in his 30s, and me now in my late 50s, has made an observation about me about four or five years ago and simply said this, he said, me and my generation will sacrifice responsibility for relationships, and your generation will sacrifice relationship to responsibility. I thought he's right. And we did. And what happened with that is many of us became lonely. Without a lot of acquaintances and very few deep, really deep soul friends. Without a clear and noble calling and understanding of who we are in Christ, and what we're designed to do, many men turn to escapes to numb the pain or end up being ambitious and aggressive in areas that really don't matter that much, like sports, hobbies, and careers, instead of investing the best uses of their life in marriage and family. God didn't create us to work, watch TV, pay bills, retire, and then die. I mean, that's just not the cycle that God has for us as we go to work, come home, watch TV, pay the bills, retire, and die. We were designed by God to make a difference. 
to lead, to make a huge impact on the next generation, to add value, to initiate. Scripture is absolutely filled with positive and negative role models of that design. But you can't help but notice the influence as you walk all the way through Scripture that they have over the next generation. God gave Adam a very clear mandate in the book of Genesis when he says, multiply, conquer, create, add value, lead. Make a difference where you are. Make a difference on the next generation. Ultimately, Adam failed miserably as Eve's protector in the Garden of Eden, and the impact of that decision was disastrous on both and mankind forever. God called the Israelites out of bondage in the time frame that we finished a couple of weeks ago in the Ten Commandments and put them on the right track, and he challenged them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The commands that I, I have given you, I want you to teach them. <coughs> And observe them in the land that you're about to possess, so that your children and your children after them will fear the Lord their God. And, and as long as you live, keep honoring these decrees and these commands that I've given you, so that you can enjoy a long life. Be careful to obey what I've given you, so that it will go well with you in the land that is flowing with milk and honey. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, or when you get up. Talk Tie them around your hands as symbols and bind them on your foreheads. The Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore that he would give to his fathers. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide. Wells that you didn't dig. Then you will eat and be satisfied. Be very careful that you do not forget that the Lord brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. But sadly enough, they forgot find it fascinating by the time you get to the book of Judges in chapter 2 that they served throughout the lifetime of, of Moses and Joshua. And, and, and then when Joshua died, verse 10 of chapter 2 in the book of Judges is one of the saddest statements in all the Old Testament when it said after that a whole generation that were gathered up to their ancestors, but another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or knew what he had done for the Israelites. They had failed to pass that on to the next generation and the impact of that was absolutely significant on the Israelites and every generation from that point on. In the book of Ephesians, God gives us a fascinating challenge in the fifth chapter when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ Jesus loved the church. Children, obey your parents. For that is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise so that it will go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. King James Version of that verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And you, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. find it fascinating that so often, as I even saw that clip this morning, I was reminded that so many fathers have abdicated the responsibility of nurturing to the mom where they felt they were the providers, the moms were the nurturers. Yet God very clearly reminds us in this section of Scripture that both have that responsibility and really both have that privilege. We so often see them as responsibilities instead of an enormous privilege. Recognizing that it doesn't happen automatically, it doesn't just happen, it takes work and it's an enormous process, one that continues on and on and on, but because of that can have a huge difference on the next generation. Because of the changes in society, we have brought into the myth that dads are the providers and moms the nurturers, but that role has been given to both. 
can be incredibly satisfying and unbelievably fulfilling. You and I on this day are often reminded of the joys of fatherhood. We get a card, we have a meal, we get to do what we wanted to do or what we like to do on this particular day. But we're also reminded of the weight of that and the impact on the next generation and the significance of our role in making a difference on the next generation, regardless of what society has done or the changes that have taken place. You and I have been given an unbelievable gift as dads to impact those around us, to make a difference on the next generation, to invest time and energy and love and grace and to do fun things with them so that they can understand love and the grace of God. As we prayed this morning in elders meeting, Vic Brown, one of our elders, said, God, I just want to thank you for being my father. And I was reminded of all the amazing things that the Heavenly Father has given us that we have the privilege of being able to enjoy. And then the privilege I have as a dad of trying to do the best I possibly can to emulate the grace of God and emulate the behavior of God and emulate, emulate the character of God so that my children can have a closer relationship with God because of what they've seen. Now, the weight of that sometimes is overwhelming, but the privilege is enormous, and I never want to take it lightly. So what do we do? How do we influence the next generation? What changes do we need to make? What things can we do? What resources are available so that we can help do that? Next week, I'll share some of those with you. This morning, I want to just give you a, a couple of pieces of advice and, and conclude with a, another video clip that's riveting. It's a one minute and 24 second, Chuck, piece. The other night, I was sitting at the car cruise and I was listening to a dad talk about his son. He said, I'm just so unbelievably proud of him. And I kept hoping, and I'm sure he did, that he, he told them that and told him that, that he's so proud of him. One of the best things you can do for your kids is to tell them how proud you are of them. I didn't hear that till a lot later in life, and it's set in motion, and I can't say this next Sunday because my dad will be here, so I want to be sensitive to that. But it's set in motion a lot of stuff in my life, a lot of drives, a, a lot of things in my life that push me in such unusual directions and so it's a driven direction because I was constantly, continually looking for that affirmation and looking for those phrases. Now he overdoes it, but then I was wanting it so bad just to say I'm proud of him. So one of the best things you can do for your kids today is just say I'm proud of you. I'm so unbelievably proud of you, who you are and what you become. And one of the best things as kids you can do for your dad is to say thanks so much for all you've done, for the influence you've been for the way you've shown me what love is and what grace is or whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you see in them that they've emulated. But it's incredibly powerful and unbelievably important. Gordon Dalby wrote a book, a number of books, one called Search for the Masculine Soul. And I want to show you just a, a minute 24 clip this morning of how important what I just said is on that generation. And then I want to pray for you. As a boy begins to grow up, he, he longs for a father to uh, uh, confirm his manhood, his masculinity. Is it a good thing to be a boy? Uh, when my boy would uh, jump over a log or, or when he was a little kid, a little toddler or something, I'd, I'd, boy, that's great, son. You did a good job, you know, and I'd pat him on the back. And then we got a little bit older and he would, uh, you know, uh, do really well with his vocabulary lesson. Boy, that's great. You know, I've had a manly hand on his shoulder, encourage him. And, and now he 
pumps iron and does his boxing class, and I, wow, you're really doing great. But you can just see what a difference that makes in him. I'm proud of you, son. You're doing well. You can just see a little, he's a teenager now, so you don't get a lot out of him, but, but you can just see a little twisty smile that comes up a little bit, uh, I'm okay. How do you know? My dad said so. And now, in my generation, we never got that. So we're always wondering, because dad's there, that's hard almost, that when dad is there physically, sitting at the dinner table, night after night after night, in the home, uh, but he's not there emotionally, he's not accessible emotionally. So what you need is, as far as you can see as a boy, it's right there, he's sitting right, that's what I need desperately. Am I okay, is it okay to be a man, dad? Is, if, if I'm, if I'm, I'm having uh, dreams about women, or if, if, if I'm, I'm looking at girls, or whatever's going on, is it okay? I, I don't know, I've never been here before, dad, but you have. So help them, because they really want to know the answers. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I love being a dad. I wouldn't change it, trade it for anything in this world. No matter what anybody would offer me, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And so I'm delighted that we can follow you this morning, that we can uh, make a commitment to you, that we can take a stand for you in a world that constantly and continually is changing, that we can follow after you and show the next generation what godliness and what it is to be a man and the privilege of being a man in today's world. And so, Father, I lift up every guy in this room this morning for those that are wanting to be dads, for those that are about to be dads, and those who are dads. I trust that, O oh Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will, again, lift them up today, give them encouragement, regardless of the issues, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the changes in our society. Help us as men of God to take a stand, to be different, to be everything we can to the next generation so that they can see the Christ in us and they can see the changes that have taken place. I pray, O oh God, that you will bless every father in this room with a great day. Help them to enjoy it to the fullest. Help them to look at their children with a smile on their face and joy in their heart. But there are some dads in this morning uh, sanctuary who really are uh, wrestling with some brokenness, alienated from their kids, struggling with those relationships, uh, desperately wanting to, but uh, haven't. There's many dads in the room who have never had one single spiritual conversation with their kids. So, Father, I trust that you will uh, encourage them this morning in, in some way or another to follow after you and seek your face and to do what's necessary to be the man of God that they've been designed to be. I thank you for the privilege of fatherhood. Thank you for the responsibility that goes with that. And we're delighted that we can uh, spend some time this morning evaluating and examining. Call us up, call us out, and call us to yourself as we follow after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.